0: Hi friends and files this week I'm your host Taylor. I'm coming back to you this week because unfortunately my mom Michelle, has come down with COVID and so she is not feeling well enough to be able to give you an episode this week and so we discussed re-releasing one of our episodes from our spooktacular last year that you all seem to enjoy and that is hunting ghosts in jerome we're so sorry we're not going to be able to release new content this week but we hope that you'll be able to enjoy this episode that we enjoyed making and i will also give you one more new little story about jerome in the process this is stones bones and shadows ghost stories that I didn't feel really fit into the episode last time that I still did research on and thought about putting in. So I'll give you a couple of quick little ghost stories for you about Jerome. Jerome's actual first silent theater, it is actually still kind of in good condition, at least from the inside. The outside is kind of like crumbling down. This theater is called the Liberty Theater and the original sign for it is actually gone, But once you head inside, it's pretty much laid out the same way that it was when it closed in 1929. There is someone that is said to haunt this theater, who is a former guest of the theater. She was a woman who immigrated from Germany and she was involved with another immigrant who she had a passionate yet tumultuous relationship with. While they were dating, they had a really large argument And she decided that after that, she just left and she needed to calm down. So she went to the Liberty Theater to watch a movie. Little did she know that her boyfriend followed her to the theater, sat behind her during the movie. He waited until a particularly loud scene when the organ music thundered through the theater and strangled her to death. The woman's ghost is said to still haunt the upper floor of the theater. Another little one that I have is actually from the United Verde mine. Of course, during this time, mining jobs were very lucrative, but also extremely, extremely dangerous. And while death rarely occurred inside the mine, it wasn't uncommon for miners to die from injuries that they had gotten from mining. And these usually occur in jobs associated with explosions, collapses, anything like that. But any injury that involves something like leg amputation would probably result in death a few months later after infection. So according to some people, miners still haunt their old workplace, including the spirit of headless Charlie. So you can probably guess that Charlie lost a... mm, let's see, a certain body part, meaning probably his head, during a mining accident, and a tale is told that he wanders the old mine in search of it. Right now, the mine is currently closed and off limits, so you're unlikely to run into him, but if you somehow find yourself near an abandoned mine, do not enter. Alright guys, this is when we'll head into our episode from last year about Jerome. I hope you enjoy being able to go back and listen to it. It was one of our favorite episodes to do. Enjoy.
1: Hi, my friends and Taffa files. I am your host, Lachelle. I have two ghosty co-hosties with me today, Randy and Taylor. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Thanks for being here and thank you Taylor for writing this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> so ladies, if you were a ghost, what do you think that your ghost name would be? <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of threw this in there. They don't have anything prepared.
2: <laughs> Probably something kind of basic like <laughs> The woman in Black, The Cat Lady in Black. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mine would probably have to be something to do with how sassy i am because probably in the afterlife i would still be very sassy about things so i'm assuming would you be like a poltergeist
2: <laughs> like just always like causing
0: like problems like maybe playing
2: pranks.
1: go back to when you were three and we called you taylor <laughs> tornado <Yeah>. or tornado <laughs> taylor maybe you would be like that yeah <laughs> Well, I think I would be something like Luminous Lachelle because I'm so white, even as a living person. I'm sure once I was
2: ghostly white, I would just be You'd like just be like yourself. Luminous. <laughs> People tell me uh, my skin is translucent. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty much the same. <laughs> there you go. As part of our October
1: Spooktacular, the three of us took a trip to Jerome, Arizona last weekend. We decided to take a ghost tour there, which kind of ended up being more of a ghost hunt than a tour. Uh, Yeah,
0: much to
2: my disappointment. (laughs) She
0: was not not loving it. She kept blaming, like, anything happens to me, it's your fault. (laughs) I was fine until he brought out the spirit box. And then I was like,
2: you picked the tour, baby. What
0: have I done? (laughs) I'm like,
2: you know, this was your idea, right?
0: (laughs) I know. I did. I just didn't realize there would be a spirit box involved.
1: Well, we'll get into the tour a little bit later.
0: So, as I was doing research for this episode, there is so much more to this town than the few stories that we heard on the tour. We heard like four, maybe five stories. It's like every single building in this town has some crazy story that happened and has a ghost. So, I mean, the whole town itself just seems to be haunted. But before we dive into all that, we need to talk about Jerome and what the brief history behind that is. You know, Tay, it is called a ghost town for a reason. I almost said that. (laughs) So you hear the word ghost town and you're like, okay, there's like these specific ghosts. Like you hear the big ones and there's empty buildings and but there's literally ghost story after ghost story after ghost story of just tons and tons of research. I could do like four episodes on that tiny town. If I wanted to. Well,
1: we'll have to revisit it. Modern Jerome was established in 1876, when three prospectors staked their claims on areas with rich copper deposits. They eventually sold to a group called the United Verde Copper Company in 1883. After establishing a makeshift camp out of board and canvas shacks, they named it Jerome, after the primary backer, Eugene Jerome who was never able to visit the town named after him. This tent city began to attract people from around the country, and Jerome began to grow. This also brought the large assortment of businesses you'd expect in a mining town, boarding houses, saloons, brothels, and gambling halls were established. At that time, United Verdi had high hopes for their business but soon found out that the costs of operating were too high and the company went bankrupt in less than two years. In 1888, William A. Clark bought United Verde for $180,000 bringing his large financial resources. So he was responsible for the railroad being brought into Jerome, which lowered the shipping costs. It is said that at this time he was making a million dollars That was a
0: lot for back then, too. Oh, my gosh. It's just a crap ton of money. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know what, with inflation, what that would be. In 1889, Jerome was officially incorporated, mainly because of the fires that kept ripping through town. In order to have an official fire company, they had to be incorporated. So by the early 1900s, the United Verde Copper Company was the largest producing copper mine in Arizona Territory. We weren't even a state yet in 1900. It's about this time where we see a bit of shift in society. Hotels, churches, an opera house, a school, civic buildings were all being built, and families are starting to move to Jerome it was becoming more civilized. I use air quotes because the lawless nature of these miners still held a huge role in this town. In 1912, James S. Douglas purchased and began the Little Daisy Mine. So in 1916, there were two very profitable mines in Jerome. In 1925, William Clark, the man who'd bought out the United Verde Copper Company, died. And his mine was then given to his sons and grandson to operate. It was then that copper peaked in 1929 until the Great Depression hit and low-grade ore deposits turned this booming town into a sad story. The Little Daisy Mine shut down in 1938 and tragedy struck William Clark's family. His grandson was killed in a plane accident in Cottonwood in 1932. Clark's oldest son died in 1933, and his last living son soon followed in 1934.
0: So he had all three of his heirs die in three years, one after the other. Oh, that's awful. Clark's
1: daughters then sold their holding to Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation, for $22,800,000. Phelps Dodge operated until loss of profits forced it to close in 1953. After the mining had ceased, Jerome became virtually and others will say literally a ghost town.
2: That's me, I'm others.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The population went from 18,000 people to just 100 those remaining in town tried to pick up the pieces first becoming an art district and later embracing their haunted history. Today it's a tourist town with only about 450 people living there.
2: So funny story I found out after we went and toured Porter's aunt's dad was from Jerome like grew up there and was born there which I feel like Is pretty rare to hear, so I thought that was interesting. There are so
1: many stories when it comes to hauntings in Jerome, but we've picked a few of the most interesting stories and we will give a few honorable mentions to some others.
2: So we are going to start with the town itself. When we were on our ghost tour, our guide stopped us in front of a large metal device. He explained that it was a smelting pot used to melt metals down. Miners use this in their day-to-day operations. It's said that oftentimes when a miner died and couldn't afford a burial, the family was then offered to put the body in the smelter. (laughs) Which is just crazy. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out, too, like this smelter is kind of like in the middle of the road. Yeah. And now they have it all blocked off and like... It's like in the middle of town. Yeah, but it's literally in the middle of the town. During that time frame, Jerome was also growing and the town needed cement sidewalks. Workers found that the slag, or the excess from the smelter, and the ashes at the bottom of the pot was a good material to use to make cement. So now, throughout the town, ashes of miners are used in this concrete that was literally the foundations for buildings. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Jerome is so haunted. They're literally using melted bodies in their cement <laughs> and buildings which is kind of creepy. It really makes sense to me. And our guide even showed us some of the spots on the older cement kind of blocks around the smelter. And it's like, see all of this black, you know, marbling that you can see, that's the slag that they use to mix with the cement, so. Those are the dead bodies, (laughs) (laughs) basically. Also next to a small park in Jerome is a small grassy plot. It's empty except for a lone park bench. This area was used for duels, shootouts in the street, Old (laughs) West-type shootouts. (laughs) And because of this, people have heard gunshots near the park. They've also seen a figure of a man standing in that area. The swings in the park next door will often
0: swing on their own. Didn't I tell you that, Taylor? You were joking. You were like, I think those swings swing on their own. But as I was doing research, I was like, that girl how dare she I knew it I knew it I could feel it <laughs> that little park so right next to it I don't know if you remember is that little tiny grassy place that no one was in yeah right there and we sat next to it eating our dinner <laughs> and had no idea that tons of people had died like right there right next to us
2: yeah <laughs> Well, cause we walked back up the stairs and I see those swings and I, I was just trying to freak Taylor out because that's what yep. I do when we go on ghost tours <laughs> together. And I said, and when we come back through here, those swings will
0: be <laughs> swinging
2: on their own. I
0: said uh, yeah, no, that's actually happened before. So thanks, Randy. That is so crazy
2: across the street from this park sits the connor hotel two ghosts are the main occupants of this hotel the first is connected to a story in its early history anna irene doherty was born in sandwich illinois in 1879 she was the sixth of nine children her father john worked in the coal mines in illinois for several years he moved his family to north dakota where he and his eldest son, Hugh, worked for the railroad. Anna lived there for two years when she married Clarence Victor Hopkins in 1903. Clarence was a geologist and topographer in Montana until he accepted a job in engineering for the United Verde Copper Company in Jerome. He was the chief engineer there until 1920. During the First World War, Clarence Hopkins, after a lot of prodding from his wife, enlisted and became a captain. After the war had ended, he was told to go to DC for some training. There, he and a friend, Tom McCloud, met up with Lucille Gallagher and Lillian Baer, two school teachers also from Jerome. The group went to dinner and then went to a play that evening. In 1919, Clarence finally returned home to his wife and kids. A few months later, he told his wife about his night out with his three old friends. Anna immediately stated that he had committed adultery. Clarence had said that it was not the first time his wife disapproved of his behavior, in quotes, with women. Anna seemed to be a very jealous woman and would often go into fits of rage if he waved to another female or was even around a woman without her nearby. Anna decided that she wanted to besmirch the name of these women. She tried to tell the school board that those women were morally unfit to be teachers there. They looked into the allegations and found no evidence of such a thing. A couple weeks later, Anna went to the school and asked to speak to Lillian Bear with a horsewhip. <laughs> oh, she wanted to speak to her. Yeah, we're just gonna have a friendly chat. Don't mind my horsewhip here, it's fine.
1: That brings a whole new meaning to
2: parent teacher conference. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anna attacked Lillian, trying to whip her with this horsewhip. She was quickly arrested, and the charges were later dropped. Anna continued to stew in her anger and told those around her Mrs. Bear had not been the right person to attack. She should have actually gone after Lucille, who luckily at the time was a Nevada visiting family. When Lucille returned, she was told about Anna Hopkins' attack on Lillian, and she just brushed it off. But then on March 31st, 1920, Anna Hopkins walked into the dining room of the Connor Hotel. She had gone there most mornings for breakfast. There in the same room was Lucille Gallagher and her friend Elsie who sat at a booth. Anna Hopkins had dressed in a long fur coat, carrying a muff and seemed to pass by their table quite a bit. Lucille and Elsie paid Anna no mind. Anna went back to a room and reemerged walking right to Lucille's table. Anna grabbed Lucille by the hair Pulled back her head and threw liquid into her face. (gasps) Then rubbed the liquid into Lucille's eyes. Lucille began to scream and fight back, her eyes and her face burning. Turns out Anna Hopkins had thrown carbolic acid into Lucille's face. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) that is awful (laughs) savage crazy i wonder why those first charges were dropped lillian like didn't want to deal with it anymore she didn't want to worry about it yeah man a man jumped in to pull anna off of lucille throwing her to the ground as anna scratched at him a waitress fainted yeah (laughs) that's a great day at work right somebody gets acid thrown in their face Man, waitresses are not tipped highly enough, let me just tell you.
0: (laughs) Not for that.
2: Lucille was helped up to the door and then she ran for the hospital with her friends Elsie guiding her there. The hotel's owner grabbed Anna and escorted her back to her room. The police showed up and arrested her and she was placed in the Prescott Jail. Lucille was very touch and go in the beginnings. Second degree burns covered her eyes, face, neck, and chest. An eye specialist from Phoenix was brought in to determine if she would lose sight in her right eye. Lucille spent three weeks in the hospital, but her eye tissue had grown back and the scarring on the rest of her body was barely noticeable. That was really lucky. Anna was charged with assault on April 1st, 1921. She was sentenced to 9 to 15 years. After she was paroled, her husband, Clarence, divorced her. Yeah, you
0: know what, Clarence, you're too good for Anna. (laughs) There was different accounts of everything, but most of them said he really did not cheat on her. It was just that Anna was just a really, really jealous woman, and she could not handle whenever he was around other women. And they all just friends from the same place, saw each other in D.C.
2: and Mm -hmm. went to dinner and a play. So good for you, Clarence. Way to get out of that. Anna actually got her nursing license and practiced as a nurse into her old age. Anna Hopkins then died on May 6, 1951, from a cerebral hemorrhage and heart disease. She was 71 years old. She is buried in the Grandview Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California. Now, on to the hauntings. Many people have seen a woman in red in the Connor Hotel. At times, she is seen sitting at the bar staring at a woman. When the woman asks what is wrong or inquires about the person, they discover her gone or informed there was no one there to begin with. (laughs) A housekeeper there has seen a woman in a red period dress walk down the hallway. When she looked up to tell her how beautiful her dress was, the woman had disappeared. A group of ghost hunters visited the Connor Hotel and did an investigation there. When they interviewed some people about their accounts, they had shown them some pictures of women who lived in the town and immediately both women pointed to Anna's picture. She is also known to haunt room number one. When guests stay in this room, it's said that they can hear women whispering and scratching sounds. One gentleman reported that when he was lying in bed, a cold, invisible presence tried to join him, lying on top of him. Ugh. Yucky. He was so freaked out that he hastily left his room and slept in his van instead. Yeah! <laughs> don't blame him one bit. He was like, nope, Mm-mm. don't want that. <laughs> An artist stayed in this room and had a dream about a lady in red, then painted her in a large mural which now hangs in the bar of the hotel.
0: So the bar of the hotel is called the Spirit Room. Oh yeah, we saw that. And that's where the painting is, is above the bar. And that's where she's known to haunt the most, is there in, in that hmm. Spirit Room bar. Wow. And most of the accounts were from other women, you know, mm-hmm. and since she
2: was, her mm-hmm. story was just such a jealous story. Yeah. She was always almost like hunting down these other women. That kind of makes sense that it's like you feel this staring and kind of mm-hmm. almost judgmental type woman. Yeah,
0: and it's crazy. She died in California, but that event obviously was like so strong for her that she's haunting all the way in Arizona. Yeah. You know, that her spirit attached itself to maybe that Maybe she really area. regretted
2: what she did. And she lived there for quite some time, right? Yeah, she did. There has also been a man in a bowler hat seen around the hotel. Many believe this is to be the original owner, David Connor himself. So maybe that's who you saw, Taylor, looking out the windows, <laughs> the upstairs window. Don't tease
0: me. <sighs> that was hilarious. I'm like, that is just a guest in the hotel. When we were sitting at this park bench next to this creepy park that I didn't know was a creepy park. You're about at the same height as like the second story windows of the Connor Hotel. And so we look over and there's just like a window with their curtains drawn just enough that somebody could peek out and be watching you the whole time. (laughs) I was not a fan of that. So I kept saying, oh, mm -mm," I like turned my back to it.
2: Yeah, she like faced the other way from the rest of us. So that way she wouldn't have to look (laughs) at the window.
1: Somebody opened it. We're like, yeah, they did. They looked out their window.
2: (laughs) (laughs) like there are people that also <laughs> stay in these hotel rooms tay
0: not just ghosts <laughs> i was a little nervous already because we're going on a ghost tour soon okay so maybe you did see a ghost taylor who knows maybe maybe it was david connor
1: the two main things jerome was known for at one point mining and brothels brothels just littered the streets of jerome <laughs> and unfortunately have a very sad history So the first thing we're going to tell you about is the crib section. This was located along Hull Avenue. And at the time, they were required by law to be attached to a local bar or saloon. They were often referred to as Husband's Alley. The crib girl was one of the lowest on the prostitution pole, so to speak. She was merely a step above a streetwalker. She could entertain... Up to 80 men a night. Ugh. But usually it that was about twenty to thirty. Still. Ugh. Only
0: twenty. Only twenty to thirty. Only.
1: And because her clients were lower income, most of the time she was paid something between twenty-five cents and one dollar per customer. We'll just leave that there. Yeah, it's sad. Today, people have felt like sometimes they are being watched, have heard phantom footsteps, smelled strong perfume, and have seen shadows that move at night. Many report a young woman's spirit has been seen near the town's community center, or Spook Hall. Spook Hall was...
0: A section where the cribs mainly was around that area so
1: the next story is about a woman named jenny bowders aka belgian jenny jenny's life before coming to jerome is kind of a mystery all we know from her past is that she gave birth to a son in brussels named jean philippe when he was 14 they immigrated to america in july of 1896 she then placed her son in a boarding school in chicago illinois and then jenny moved out west to jerome where she heard money could be made but when she arrived no structures existed she had nothing going for her there there was no place to stay no prospects she was an immigrant unmarried and a woman but that didn't stop her as soon as she arrived She took out a mortgage for $1,000 and bought three lots. And I'm just going to say that I found it kind of amazing that
0: some bank gave her $1,000. In Jerome, this actually happened quite a lot for women. They kind of were like all in this together and they all supported each other. So it wasn't that unheard of in Jerome. Like other places, totally.
1: Right? I mean, she's... Come to the country, has nothing for collateral, has no business or money, and she's they're just gonna give her a thousand dollars. No husband, right? Yeah, right. The husband that would probably be the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, I think that the bank just saw, like, oh, she's trying to help like the town grow more. We need another brothel, sure. Here's a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. It was like the town was kind of
2: down on its luck.
1: Yeah, so she builds a brothel and a saloon. And although on paper, her brothel was more of a boarding house for women, she called it Jenny's Place. Jenny's Place wasn't the only brothel, but it was the grandest. The other places had women, but she had a knack for this business. Jenny knew how to grab a man's attention and hold it while he was waiting for another girl to be freed up.
0: It was said that she said about herself, I'm not the easiest to look at, but I sure know how to keep a man busy or something like that. Like that was one of her coined phrases that she would use all the time.
1: <laughs> well, so she would keep them busy by drinking and playing cards and talking to keep them engaged so they wouldn't go find another girl elsewhere. She was past the prime age and knew that, but used her skills to her advantage. It's said that she treated her girls well, and instead of renting out the rooms, she gave the girls shelter and protection in exchange for work. Jenny also provided medical care and black market condoms.
0: What's all this about, Taylor? So, back in the day, it kind of was illegal to use birth control for women. Really? Yeah, it was just another way that men like to use their power over us. (laughs) So it was unheard of to use any types of herbs or whatever for that reason. And a lot of these girls were scared of getting pregnant. Obviously. Jenny would get condoms off the black market and offer them to the clients. Not a lot of them use them, of course, because... For lots of reasons we won't go into. Gross. It was still an offer that she would make for
2: the girls so
1: that yeah. the girls could feel more okay. safe. Okay, that's something I haven't really heard or talked about in history, so there you there you have it.
2: Also like I don't know if like how much Catholicism was like a thing here, but I mean it was illegal like in the Catholic Church to use birth control and still often is looked down to.
1: So she gave she gave them a lot, but on the flip side, she also took half of everything that they made. So Jenny began to make a lot of money and because every client that came into Jenny's place would end up spending about a day's wage just to be with her ladies. After all the success, disaster struck her business. Three fires went through Jerome in just three years between 1897 and 1900. Every time a fire ran through, Jenny would lose everything and then would have to then rebuilt. The third time it happened, she'd had enough, and she built her new business out
2: of brick. Smart.
1: <laughs> when Jerome became incorporated, women of respect and families began to move in, so places like Jenny's were looked down on by those respectable citizens. It was then that Jenny decided it was just time to leave. So in 1903, Jenny moved to the Acme Camp in Gold Road, Arizona. Do we know where that is nowadays? It's by Kingman, Arizona. So a ways up the road. There, Jenny built a saloon with two tents in the back to serve as rooms for her working girls. At this same time, Jenny started to see a man named Clement C. Lee. Gold Road had a history of opium running rampant, and Clement fell prey to it. Soon, he started threatening Jenny. It frightened her and she told anyone that would listen to her. On September 3rd, 1905, Clement had been drinking. He started talking about how he needed money to pay a debt and figured that he'd just take it from Jenny, even if it killed him. He drank more and more and as he did, he got louder and meaner. And when he was plenty drunk, He grabbed his pistol and went to Jenny's home. He kicked down her door and demanded she give him money. She told him no. A screaming match then ensued. Jenny ran into the street in only a nightgown, fearing for her life. She made it 40 feet before a shot rang out and she fell to the ground. She had been shot in her hip. For God's sake, don't shoot, she screamed her last words. Clement then shot her two more times. She squeezed her eyes tight, made the sign of the cross, clasped her hands as if in prayer. Clement reloaded as she did so. No one even tried to help her as she lay bleeding on the ground. You aren't dead yet, Clement asked. He then fired a shot into her head. Feeling satisfied, Clement turned the gun on himself and then fired into his chest. He then lay on the ground next to her lifeless body, crossed his arms, placed a hat over his face, and waited to die. But no matter how much he wanted it, it didn't come. Clement was hauled off to jail in Kingman, charged with murder. A jury found him guilty, and the judge sentenced him to die by hanging. Ha.
2: Serves you right, Clement besides you
0: shoot yourself in the chest that's just dumb (laughs) you deserve to go to jail yeah and he was like okay i'm gonna lay down and take a nap and wait till i die (laughs) and then the police are like you dumb you're going to jail
1: and he went to all that trouble to get his money killed jenny and then he's
0: and then tried to kill himself
1: i don't know maybe he kind of came to his senses after kind of and then tried to kill himself too but
2: he just like knew that he would go to jail. Like this, there was this big public scene. Like there's no way he was gonna get away with it. And I just love that he literally laid down, like and like took a nap. It's like
1: I'm gonna put my hat on my head and just wait till
2: I die. Yeah, it's like in Pitch Perfect when she gets hit with the burrito, and she's like, "I've yeah. been, shot, been shot." And just lays down on the ground. And they're like, "You're fine. <laughs> You're going to jail."
1: so during his time in jail clement often bragged that he would never die for jenny's murder and even if he did he would welcome the day he was hanged on january 18th 1907 he was read his death warrant he kind of got his just desserts when he became so physically weak that his legs gave out and he fell hitting his head on the gel cell and bled profusely. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Maybe Jenny was there and just kind of tripped him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She was like, take this, fool.
1: <laughs> the guards carried him up to the gallow, barely conscious, and placed the noose around his neck, where he was then hung. He died at 2 p.m.
0: That's a sad story. Yeah, Jenny's death is a lot, but she did get justice, which does make me feel a little better. Yes. But it's still an awful way to die.
1: And how many times in the Old West do you just hear of someone was murdered or something and nothing really happened? So she did get justice. Yeah. Her son got everything after she died and he never knew how she was making money until after she had died. He used a portion of his inheritance to give her a beautiful resting place in Kingman Pioneer Cemetery.
2: So is Jenny one of the ghosts that we still hear about? Or Jenny's place still stands
1: and is now known as the Mile High Inn. And she seems to haunt the place. She's been seen in her favorite rooms there, the Lariat and the Lace Rooms. She likes to rearrange the furniture play with the ceiling fan, and move guests' items. Sounds a lot like one of our ghosts from last week. Yeah. She also seems to be very kind to the maids that work there. She turns on the radio for them while they clean up, and also spends (laughs) a lot of time in the grill kitchen there, making objects like ice cream scoops fly off their shelves and onto the floor. She just needs a little ice cream. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing that when I'm a ghost, trying to grab that ice cream scoop and open that freezer.
0: Yeah, she's just like a very playful ghost, really. She's not mean or menacing. She just living her life. Which is cool because yeah. you feel like in
2: the way that she died, she would have reason to be kind of a menacing presence you know, especially towards men or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. But that's that's cool that she's just like happy, kind of, you know, headmistress type lady.
0: Yeah, she's just doing her thing. All the men that would go into her brothel, she would just play games with them and cards. And like she was mm-hmm. just that playful, silly kind of woman. And it seems just like now as a ghost, she just is like that too. We don't know if these
1: are related to Jenny, but sometimes glasses will slide off tables by themselves and crash. Now, waitress has heard a woman's voice singing and also a loud bang, but no one else heard that. So our last Painted Lady story is that of Sammy Dean. Her real name is Juanita Marie. Sammy's husband abandoned her in Jerome, and she was stuck there for some time. She wanted out and was trying to save money for just that. But what does an uneducated, unmarried woman do in those days?
2: I know. She becomes a sporting woman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She becomes a sporting woman in a sporting house because she likes sports. Men like sports. (laughs) No, because men like sports and they will pay a lot of money. So that's exactly what she did. And she ended up actually being very accomplished at it. (laughs) Her clients included the mayor, the mayor's son. Which is gross. The sheriff's son and several councilmen. And having such high profile clients probably didn't do her any good, though. On July 7th, 1931, Sammy was found strangled to death in her room at Lil's place. The police found her that evening and were never able to figure out who did it. Speculation has surrounded her case. Some think that the mayor's son was in love with her and she refused his advances and he killed her. Others think that because the mayor's son was in love with her, he didn't want his reputation to be tarnished and he killed her. Then a majority think that It was the sheriff's son who had skipped town shortly after her body was discovered. That sounds kind of sus right
0: there. Yeah. (laughs) I put my money on the sheriff's son. What was his motive, though? Was he also involved with her? Well, yeah, he was one of her clients. Okay. Yeah, it really doesn't say that he had a motive. The other two, they gave possibles. But this one, they just said that everyone knew that he just, like, upped and left town one day. And they were like, oh, it's probably that guy. We don't, but we don't know.
1: So to this day, it seems that Sammy is still haunting that house. People that enter her room talk about feeling a strong presence. In one case, a group of people were taking a tour and a woman grabbed the arm of the person next to her. I can't go into that room, she said. A woman told me not to. In 2010, the vice mayor of Jerome lived in the house for a time. His son's room was Sammy's room, and around the anniversary of her death, he states that she is more active. The window in that room fogs up during the day for no reason, and his son has heard her crying in his room at night. Now that's something I do not want to wake up to, is some ghostly lady crying in my room. Nope, me either. At one point, the son also saw a gentleman walk through a closed door. That same vice mayor was up at night and saw the same man. He was dressed in a derby hat and was in tails. They think that this is the man that killed poor Sammy and has followed her even Uh. after death.
2: You know what? If somebody murders me, that would be like so upsetting to know that they still could follow you around like as a spirit.
0: Right? Isn't that oh, sad? Like I
2: think yeah. I would just like <laughs> pass Get away to the other side you. just so I could be like, Oh, you are getting away from you <laughs> finally. Yeah,
1: stay away. But hopefully if he killed her, he's gonna be going down to the hot
2: place below. His elevator just goes down. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one way. <laughs> that's right <laughs> I always think of the
1: cartoons you know where it's like Raw! and it opens up yeah. and goes it's all fiery <laughs>
0: So now we're going to go to the most well-known and most haunted place in all of Jerome. And that is the Jerome Grand Hotel. I'm so
2: excited for this part.
0: (laughs) So a little bit of history about the hotel itself. Um, In 1912, blasting in the mine actually caused a fault shift in Jerome. And this caused a lot of damage to the town and some of its buildings there. The south wing of the hospital at the time collapsed. And this same shift moved what's known as Jerome's Sliding Jail. It's like a jail room and it's just slid down the hill 200 feet where it sits now. Yeah, you can go and see it. Yeah, we saw that. So it also damaged the old high school, causing it to be torn down and narrowly missed some other buildings there that were right on the fault line. So the old hospital then had the damaged wing removed. Then in 1926, the United Verde Hospital was constructed to replace the old hospital. That is where the Jerome Grand Hotel is now, is the United Verde Hospital. And the old hospital is just actually down the street next to a place called the Surgeon's House. It was that place that we passed by that had all the construction going on on it. That's actually the old hospital.
1: And the surgeon's house was that really cute mm-hmm. B&B yeah. that was so pretty on the outside.
0: Yeah, so the the building next to it was the building that was the old hospital. So it still stands today. It's been remodeled and it's become the Jerome Clubhouse. So there's been three hospitals then in Jerome? There's been four hospitals. So this strange location for the new hospital was only because the ground there was known to be very stable. And since it was still an operating mine, they kind of needed that for their hospital. This concrete building was opened in January of 1927. And on the Jerome Grand Hotel website, it says it featured patient call lights, balconies, sun porches, emergency backup lighting, Otis self-service elevator, ice-making room in Arizona, laboratories x-ray major and minor surgical facilities men's women's and children's wards private and semi-private rooms blanket warming closets and housing for some staff so in 1930 it was considered the most modern hospital in arizona and possibly the western states yeah it sounds like it because of this william clark used this as just another marketing tool to attract the best employees to jerome Good housing, great schools, and the top medical care available, is what he would say. So then, in 1935, when Phelps Dodge bought United Verde, they actually continued to operate the hospital until the mine closed in 1950. So then, after that, for 20 years, the hospital was fully furnished, but it wasn't in use. And it was then that they knew it wouldn't be a hospital again, because it was so outdated by that time. So they removed all the furnishings in the 1970s and hired a caretaker to live there to keep it safe from vandals. In the 1980s, the last caretaker of the building killed himself, unfortunately. Okay. Because of that, Phelps Dodge decided that they're just going to board up the building and they're going to have the police keep an eye on it. There was some vandalism still going on then, but... In December of 1993, Larry Alther made an offer to purchase the hospital and took possession of it on May 29th, 1994. And he still owns and operates the hotel today with his brother, Bob. It's beautiful. It's just amazing. It is. And his nephew, Chris, is the general manager there. The United Verde Hospital is now the Jerome Grand Hotel not only does it attract the living, but also the dead. It's said that approximately 9,000 people died in that hospital, which is awful. (laughs) So now that it's a hotel, most often what people experience throughout the hall is the sounds of coughing, labored breathing, sneezing, voices from rooms that are unoccupied. They'll have doors slammed in their faces. They reported smells like flowers, cigar smoke, and whiskey. And in those rooms, there's none of those items are found. There are a lot of people that have said that they've actually seen orbs in their room with them and that the televisions often turn themselves on. A common occurrence happens on the third floor where the wheels of a gurney have been heard rolling through the hallway. And The owners of the hotel have said that they have changed the flooring of the carpet to try to stop that from happening. And yet people still hear the noise. So I have three different accounts of people that have stayed
1: at the hotel. One of them was that they could not sleep all night because they just heard the wheels on like tile rolling like gurneys back and forth. It was just sounds of hospital all night that they couldn't sleep.
2: That is really quite eerie. And then the other
1: one, they took a picture of their room and caught a picture of a nurse sitting like at a desk, is what it looks like to me.
0: The nurse has been seen. Even the owner of the hotel has said that in the beginning he had psychics come through and both told him that the head nurse was unhappy because they had removed the original desks, the front desks, and eventually like in the bar area, I guess they put them there and it was just a little bit farther away from where they originally stood and then she was happy after that. But she's been seen throughout the hotel. She's like the head nurse of the hospital, they say.
1: And then my third story, is one of my good friends and supposedly they stayed in room 32 which is the most haunted room has the you know on the third floor the balcony and everything it was their honeymoon and they were just happy as could be and they had great night's sleep it was the best hotel they'd ever stayed at they loved the views and just had just a wonderful time
0: (laughs) (laughs) everyone's experience is different you
2: just never know
0: (laughs) so this next ghost is going to be randy's favorite this ghost is a spirit cat Aww. Aww. so no one knows what the origin of the cat is but it's been heard hissing meowing and scratching at doors And guests have felt this cat rub up against their legs or snuggling them while they lay in bed. (laughs) See, I wouldn't
2: mind that at all.
0: I just feel like. Yeah, I wouldn't either. (laughs) But I'm
2: also kind of used to that because I do always have cats cuddling me in bed. So it would feel normal.
0: (laughs) The most common occurrence that they see is an imprint on the bed of the cat, like curled up in place, where the bedding had been smooth and straight just moments before. So it's like the cat jumped up on the bed and decided to take a little nap. One particular guest staying in room 20, which is where the cat mostly roams, in 2008, took a picture of a ghostly cat sitting on a table in their room. And this photo sits at the front desk (laughs) along with others of different like ghost encounters that they've had. So
2: I do love that one.
0: Yeah, little ghost kitty. <laughs> Another popular ghost that people see is a child, about four or five, and they just like run down the hallway...
1: <laughs> and if that isn't exactly what a child of four or five would do in a hotel you know you've never had one but he also <laughs> likes
0: to appear at the foot of people's bed and watch them while they sleep which is just my oh, favorite oh no uh, no that's uh, a no uh. but running down the hallway sure but like why you gotta watch me sleep uh-uh. that's just yeah. weird <laughs>
1: it's where we draw the line little guy yeah now. move
0: on please time for you to go find your mommy <laughs> So, unfortunately, this hotel has also been the site of three suicides, and all three men still, like, roam the hotel. The first is a man who was confined to a wheelchair, and when he was in the hospital, he wheeled his chair to the balcony and lifted himself up and over the railing and fell to his death. Oh. Yeah, and people have seen a figure doing just that and will cry out and then there's no one there. The second man was in room 32 and he actually shot himself while he was in the hospital.
1: I don't know why. So that's the room my friend stayed in. Yeah.
0: And then, as I mentioned earlier, the local man that was hired by Phelps Dodge to watch the building, he was later found hanging from a steam pipe in the room that he resided in in the building. It's in the old engineer's room. And so I found reports of people saying that they see a figure of a man there.
2: So do you think that part of maybe what drove him to suicide was being the caretaker, like alone in this crazy haunted building? Because I feel like that could make you feel kind of crazy. That's
0: kind of what I thought when I was researching and writing this episode. Me too. This guy was all alone with like, nine thousand ghosts (laughs) literally nine (laughs) thousand maybe he thought he was losing
1: his mind right
0: maybe i don't know it's so sad though but the last big one and the most active one is the ghost of claude harvey so claude harvey was a maintenance man at the hospital in 1935 his body was discovered pinned underneath the elevator in the basement of the hospital oh yikes oh so on inspection of the elevator they were like okay what happened and the coroner's inquest they found that he did not die by squishing of from the elevator by
2: squishing official term
0: (laughs) (laughs) death by squishing (laughs) Death by squishing. (laughs) It's on the coroner's report. Death by squishing. (laughs) The elevator was in perfect working order. And Harvey was known to be a very experienced maintenance man. So there is no way that he would go underneath it anyways. And unfortunately, we never got a full autopsy because the United Rudy Copper Company didn't want a full autopsy. And they didn't want the company to be blamed for his death. In any way. Oh. So they never allowed that. So speculation surrounds his death, obviously, because we don't know how he died. Some people say that Harvey jumped to his death, but the majority believe he was murdered and his body was simply dumped at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Part of the reason why is because Claude had a broken neck and he had a small scrape behind his ear. So, like, he maybe got in, like, a little tiff Hmm. before, struggled a little bit, but officially it was ruled an accident. It seems that Harvey is not very happy with that, because Harvey haunts the elevator.
2: Oh, (laughs) haunted Harvey. That elevator was really scary looking, too. Yeah. Like, just gave off some very creepy vibes i thought it was cool had one of those old-fashioned little
1: doors the grates the accordion opening yeah but i feel like it was Mm -hmm. really
2: like i wouldn't want to ride in that yeah (laughs) like it just looks so creaky and old and (laughs) then you add like a ghost messing with it Yeah, no thanks randy's like i'll take the stairs yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll take the stairs.
0: Well, maybe not. You see
2: me just, like, running up the stairs. Oh, go. <laughs> <laughs> Are the stairs haunted, too? <laughs> Taylor's like, I
1: know more than you do about this story, so... Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so lights in the elevator shaft have been seen mysteriously. Like, they're not from any source. It's just lights in the elevator shaft. And I guess even when the building was vacant and there was no power... The elevator would move on its own. Ah, Whoa! (laughs) So scary. And it would creak loudly, too, even if it was just sitting still. Sometimes it would even sound like it was moving.
1: Yeah, that's creepy.
0: Some guests have claimed to see a shadow resembling a man in the basement around the elevator... Or on the stairs. Oh, great. There goes so, my plan. Told you, maybe not the best idea.
1: There's no way to get to the third floor, Randy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this man has appeared looking very angry. People that are around him feel like waves of anger just coming off of him and can just tell he's a very angry being. Although he makes people, like, super uncomfortable with how angry he is, he's never hurt anyone in the building before. Poor Harvey is just upset that he never got justice for his murder, so he's probably just so angry with the world right now. What do you guys think? Murder? Suicide? Accident?
2: Either a murder or suicide, I feel like. It's a weird accident. Like, I don't know, accidentally fall down an elevator Mm -hmm. shaft? Especially a functioning elevator that isn't just, like, an empty shaft? I feel like... That's weird.
0: What do you think, Mom?
1: I think that when I get in that elevator, first thing I'm going to do is say, Harvey, I am on your side. You did not get justice. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that or something. Try you know, to calm him down. I'm, gonna, I'm going right in there like, I'm, I, am, I am behind you all the way. I'm I you, am bud. your
2: friend. <laughs> Please don't be angry
0: with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it for the Jerome Grand Hotel. There is a lot more, but there's a lot of like little sightings, quote unquote, little sightings of ghosts. Uh, Right. That are not as common, but those are the big ones that happen. So we
1: went on our little ghost tour, which I guess really, it was more like a ghost hunt. The guide did give us some... stories, a little bit of background to the town, and that kind of thing. I think we were kind of thinking that it was going to be more stories than here's a spirit box, try to talk
2: to the ghosts, which I don't think any of the three of us have ever done that, right?
0: Mm -mm.
2: No, all the ghost tours I've been on have just been more like historic kind of based and never with any equipment or anything. Yeah, same. So they gave us
1: two EMF detectors, and Taylor wasn't about to even touch the EMF detector at first. And then the spirit box and Randy says, okay, I'll hold the spirit box. <laughs> Taylor took the flashlight.
0: <laughs> I did have an EMF detector because he gave it to me. <laughs>
1: took us around. We went to several locations and in a couple buildings where there had been known to be a lot of activity
0: I just want to preface this with, I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) I was like visibly shaking and I could feel my heart pounding really hard because I really did not want an experience with a ghost. And when Taylor's
2: (laughs) terrified she also gets angry much like Mr. Harvey in the previous one. (laughs) She just gets angry and she kept giving me like these death glares because I was like holding the spirit (laughs) box I'm like I didn't do anything like I'm just here (laughs) It was funny though
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true but I put on a brave face y'all and I um I did it, so. You did. I'm alive. You did. I'm okay. So it was really
1: different just talking out loud in a dark room, asking if anyone was there and they wanted to communicate. Yeah. We got a few words that came through. We only understood a few of them and our guide said that, oh, it's really quiet right now. Nobody's really talking.
0: Uh, It was a great experience for me because I really didn't want, like I said, I was terrified. So I really didn't want this crazy like conversation with a ghost but i still really liked the fact that we had the emf readers when we were in the haskins house there was a lot of activity with the emf readers and i think we got a few like little blips on the spirit box because that's where there was a double homicide there right like it was two women that were murdered there Yeah, no, that's right. He would say their names out loud, and he had a device that was just, it was going crazy the whole time we were in there.
2: Yeah, I, you know what story I have to tell about this, Tay, is we were, you know, in the parking lot. And this is where I felt like we got the most words, was in the parking lot of the burned-down Hospital And, you know, I felt like we were able to kind of through the EMF detector really lighting up. That kind of meant yes and having zero activity or lights or whatever after a question kind of meant we took to mean no. And so we were able to kind of use that plus any little blips that we got through the spirit box to feel like we got an idea of who they were. And the most noticeable word that came through and Taylor and I both look at each other afterwards and said the same word at the same time. So there's this blurb that came through after we asked, what did you do for a living? And the blurb comes through and then Taylor and I look at each other and said, minor. It said minor. We like said it at the same time, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we kind of had a little bit of a back and forth and I felt like it was kind of fun. And Taylor asks (laughs) the minor, do you want to hear a knock-knock joke? After each response before, the lights had gone crazy, and so I'm expecting it to, like, light up, and it was, like, in the negative after that. It was zero, silence. not even a blurb of activity. And I say, man, I guess knock-knock jokes are even bad in the afterlife. And then it went all crazy after
0: that. He's like, girl, I don't want to hear your bad knock-knock jokes. Okay. he's like, I
2: have been around for three centuries. (laughs) I've heard them all. (laughs) Did they have knock knock jokes in the early 1900s? I
1: don't even know. know.
2: So that was just kind of a funny and I felt (laughs) like it made it more lighthearted for Taylor that it It was like, yes, this was going on, but it wasn't a bad energy or it was lighthearted.
0: I never felt uncomfortable or like there was a negative energy the whole time we were doing it. I didn't feel any of that. So that did help calm me down. And also when I get nervous, I like to crack jokes. So that was just a coping mechanism I think <laughs> for myself. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, it was fun.
1: We had some really good laughs and learned a little bit more about
2: seeking out the spirits and I would do it again. I mean, you never know. Every any time could be different, you know? So,
0: I thought it was very interesting. I liked the idea of hearing the ghost stories with something tangible to see if there actually is ghosts, not just hearing the history and hearing that like, "Oh, it's haunted" and being like, "Oh yeah, I can totally tell." But having a device that could help you detect that there actually was ghosts there was really interesting and cool, I thought.
1: So lastly, we're going to talk about the cemetery. The best for last, I guess. Usually I like to talk about the cemetery first. And we actually went there first. We met at the cemetery there in Jerome. It's either sometimes called the Jerome Cemetery or the Hogback Cemetery. And there are actually over 500 people buried there, but Unfortunately, due to vandalism, some of the stones have been stolen, headstones are broken, animals had dug up some of the bodies. There aren't that many headstones that's left. And the ones that are there, some of them are really hard to read. And there is a lot of cacti to kind of try to walk around and eat bushes. There was a lot of the iron fences around a little plot.
0: Yeah, I read later that those were put up in the later graves to prevent animals from digging up the bodies. Because that was happening a lot. I
1: I really like those for some reason. I love those little gates and the little fence that goes around one grave I think is just kind of poignant and pretty and they were all really different some really elaborate and then some were actually made just out of like plumbing pipe put around it we did see two zinc our little zinkies we saw two there lots and lots of stone built up over the burial You could tell that there had been wooden crosses and things like that that were kind of like the cross piece on it will have fallen off or they were very worn. There was a few, as we know, wood doesn't last very long out in the element.
2: The ones that were there, you could see a lot of old graves, at least for Arizona, which was cool because, you know, I mean, there was some that.
1: Late 1800s? There was some even
2: early 1800s as far as birth dates go. I mean, you're looking at, there was some 1820s, 1830s. Yeah. That is old, especially for the West. So that was pretty cool. Um, I wish there was more of them that we could see because it's just, yeah, there's so much more history there that we just unfortunately don't know. But it, it was, it was really neat to see that.
0: As I was researching the cemetery, there's not a lot of info, unfortunately. Part of the reason why there's not a lot of info is because after the 1950s, records were just thrown away. Because that's when it was abandoned for a time and went down
2: to almost no population, right? Jerome as a town. Yeah.
0: They're like, oh, don't need this anymore. And just like threw them away. It's not a town anymore. Yeah. It's a ghost town. I also read that during the Spanish influenza, like, you know, in the 1910s around there when it was really rampant. They actually forgot that they had a cemetery there in Jerome. <laughs> and so then they were like, oh, and they just started burying people there like crazy huh. because a lot of people were dying from the influenza. So they just started burying people there like crazy and didn't really record it. It's just it's just crazy. It's not a very well kept cemetery. That's true.
1: And I was scared I was going to step on <laughs> a sneaky snake.
0: yeah. That was the scarier
2: part, and the giant grasshoppers. Those were scary, too.
0: Not scared of ghosts, but grasshoppers. Mm-mm. Randy can't do that.
2: <laughs> no, no, thank you. We all have our things, right? One of my favorite things, too, which I do have several photos of, is just from the cemetery, you can look up on the hill and see the Grand Jerome Hotel. So that was really cool where you're like in that resting place and you look up. Before we did this, I I knew about the Jerome Hotel and just knowing that that was like the haunted hotel, just like kind of looming up on the hill was a little foreboding. And there were
1: beautiful views kind of over the Red Rocks of Sedona and yeah, up on that hill. And there really was a very pretty view. Anyway, it was a good day and it was just fun to explore a new place with my favorite gals I'm really glad that we got to do that and can't wait to
2: hit our next place. It was a pretty resting place, I thought, especially for the Southwest. Very typical of the Arizona
1: places that are just out, like we said, Cactus and Rocky and, and that kind of thing. We have lots of really great photos that we'll be posting on our social media and also on our blog.
0: So make sure you check those out. Jerome, after visiting and doing a lot of research, I have concluded that it's definitely haunted. (laughs) (laughs) And the stories we've told you are just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many more. You could throw a rock and hit a ghost if you wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) We would want to do that. You mean
2: go through a ghost (laughs) if it wanted to? Yeah.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) You probably could and end up going through a (laughs) ghost.
1: It was a fun place. I'd definitely go back. Thanks, ladies, for traveling with me and
0: for our fun episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was fun. So, In closing,
1: I'm going to leave you with some more lyrics of the song Old Jerome by Kate Wolf. Walking the streets of rough-cut stone. She was once a minor city, now the ghost of a dying town, but there's a fire burning bright in Old Jerome. They say that once you live here, you never really go, because she'll have a hold on you until you die. With her ground moving crazy, her fierce wind blowing free, and her ruins standing proud against the sky and her walls standing strong and silent, staring out with empty eyes, like beggars, blind and lame, that do no harm, with their empty rooms that hold the old town's memories, and their doorways that reach out like empty arms. In the streets, the children play, climbing up the crooked stairs, and lovers touch and turn to go back home. And the sounds of hammers echo in the once-forgotten halls, and hope stirs in the heart of
0: old Jerome. alright Tapophile right, Tap-A-File family, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We're sorry again that we couldn't bring you totally new content, but we hope you enjoyed looking back at our old spooktacular episode. Thank you again for all you do for us in order to keep doing this. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners.